Welcome to OhiCast, where we pull back the curtain to explore all things music to satisfy musical appetites. All are welcome here, from newcomers to longtime music fans. On each episode, special guests help shine light on topics ranging from concert repertoire, music of today, to their very own Ojai experiences. I'm Thomas Kotcheff, a composer and pianist, and you may know me in the Ojai family as the on-air host of the Ojai Music Festival livestream. The Ojai Music Festival is celebrating its 75th anniversary this year. It has an incredible history, with music directors including Aaron Copeland, Igor Stravinsky, Pierre Boulez, Oliver Nussen, and many, many more. So today, we're calling this episode the Ojai Time Machine, and we're joined by percussionist and conductor Steve Schick and founding member of 8th Blackbird Matthew Duvall to chat about their favorite Ojai Festival experiences. It is my pleasure to introduce the co-artistic director and founding member of the world-renowned three-time Grammy Award-winning ensemble, Eighth Blackbird. As a composer and pianist, I've looked up to Eighth Blackbird my entire musical life. The music they make, the incredible collaborations they do, the iconic recordings, their approach to performance, everything about them is awesome. And they were the 2009 music directors of the Ojai Festival. I now welcome percussionist Matthew Duvall to the Ojai cast. Hello, Thomas, and everybody at Ojai. So, I'm so happy to have you here with us, Matthew. Uh, I love talking to you, buddy. <laughs> so, this episode's called the Ojai Time Machine, and I want to just ask you first off: Is what's your earliest memory of Ojai Festival, like as far back as you can go? Uh, well, the uh, the earliest uh, memory I have is when we were invited to play there. I hadn't been familiar with Ojai prior to that, but um, uh, disclaimer, we were very, very young. I, we were not really out in the world of music and festival. I mean, we were, we were Oberlin students, uh, undergraduates. I don't, I don't know. I think at that point we were probably at the university of Cincinnati, but still students. And, uh, we were, we were, I guess, doing some interesting work. We had one concert artist guild at that point and, and, uh, Bob Spano, uh, uh, who did some work at Ohio uh, as well, of course, uh, knew of us from Oberlin and invited us out to do uh, some of the repertoire we'd been playing. There was in one piece in particular, uh, uh, the Frederick, Frederick Jewski, um coming together uh, uh, arrangement that we had done and recorded and, and were performing a lot. And that was uh, that was a big show for us at Ohio. So so I, I arrived at, at the Ohio Music Festival with very wide open eyes. This was all very new to me, but I, I will. Uh, uh, you know, that was one that was one of our very first. You remember those big those you walk on stage and it's like, wow, this is I've never this is incredible. I this this is what people do. What? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was one of my very first big performative memories. So a question for you just about the, the town of Ojai, because you've spent mm-hmm. time there, obviously. Sure. What uh, do you enjoy most about the town? Uh, what's special about just the place? Uh, well, the first thing that occurs to me is, is one of my favorite memories about staying there. And and I think this speaks a lot to the culture of the town and, and, uh, the vibe of the place. Ojai, uh, 
uh, when we when you're when you're participating in the festival, you stay with friends of the festival around town. Uh, there are a lot of very very uh, 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 generous hosts who people put people up. And uh, I was put in. Uh, I was assigned to. A, uh, I'm sorry, I don't remember their names, but but there was there was the main house, and then there was sort of a another house out in the back. And I thought, okay, it looked sort of like I was going to stay in a stable or something. So I was a little. I don't know. I don't know what I was getting into. And I go, and there's this lovely little room. And so okay, so I go in, and it's sort of a guest room, but like sort of a tiny thing. But then I open the door, right, and I realize I'm in the middle of orange groves as far as I can see. And so whenever I wasn't at the festival, uh, you know, whatever, working or, or doing festival things, I was back at this little room in the middle of orange groves thinking to myself, how, how perfect is this to be just, I don't know, I would sit on the little porch and it was just me and the oranges. And uh, that, you know, that for that said volumes about Ojai to me. What do you think, um, makes the Ojai Music Festival different from other music festivals? I, mean, I know you've played in a lot of festivals. What's different about Ojai and their music? The, 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 the number one, one of our biggest lessons, one of our biggest takeaways was working with Tom Morris uh, to curate our festival. And a really the, 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 the model of, of this whole way of creating programming for a festival was really mind-blowing to us uh, in this way. That we, I have my, our impression, my impression had always been, you're supposed to be super smart and program really amazing things. And then people go to those and go, whoever programmed us, all of these things, wow, they're so super smart, right? But, but Tom Morris, and I honestly don't know if this is replicated in the same way elsewhere, but he uh, was the artistic director. And I don't know if he came up with this idea, but, but that he would assign a new music director every year and, and not assume the responsibility of a single mastermind, which is what you find in so many places, uh, people at concert halls and, and presenters and, and so on. And this is nothing new. This is a very common scenario. But, but, but the way Tom... And I don't know if his predecessors did this, but the way Tom brings in a different music director every year and really just guides their vision, he, for us, in, in our growth is learning how to see performances as more than just one piece after another. Uh, uh, this idea that an artistic director would guide an idea to completion, but let the idea grow in the, in the way it needs to and it's sort of the, the metaphor for what I'm describing. And of course, the idea being led is, is, is each new music director. And, and being led through this process of creating uh, uh, a festival worth of programming, which working with Tom is a three-year process, that also really blew our mind with regard to the scale of thought that goes into what you are, what you're, I don't know. I want to say what you're putting in front of the public, but it, but it's, but it's deeper than that. It's what you're working on as an artist. And uh, you know, for, for, for us working with Tom to curate our festival at Ojai was an apprenticeship in curation with uh, you know, very few people I, I know of are as experienced uh, in that 
in that whole process. So that it was, uh, you know, it was a real gift to work with Tom through all of that. So for for that year, 2009, yeah. what was the kind of core vision for the whole festival for you guys and what you want to put together? Yeah, uh, the we wanted to do chamber music in a way that had not been done at Ohio before, in a way that audiences at Ohio hadn't seen before. And uh, I think I, it's not being rebellious for rebelliousness's sake. I don't know if that any of that was grammatically correct, but uh, but uh, it's it's just saying okay to trying things and uh sort of questioning everything but not in a let's figure out what all the bad things are but let's question everything in the spirit of how many new things can we find to do and uh and so we gathered people who we felt like were all doing in in their own areas of artistic practice uh doing their own surprising and unexpected work. One of my favorite examples was a uh, was a recorder, a Baroque recorder quartet that came from Germany. Uh, and they performed all modern composition that they had commissioned. And who, I, who else was doing that? I don't know. And they were extraordinary. The other thing that we did that we did at the festival is we tried to present music in ways that they hadn't been presented before. So a moment ago, I was referring more to like genre and aesthetic, but but we also brought musicians together to perform large scale pieces that would usually have been done with a conductor. But instead, the experience was for all of us, the, 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 the game or the challenge was, OK, this time we're going to do this. Uh, we're all, we're going to lead ourselves. Um, we're going to play these large works as chamber pieces. How do we accomplish that? How do we take you know, 20 plus people and perform these, these, these complex scores. And those things were figured out. And the process of discovery for that in the, the week or two weeks, uh, whatever it was of the rehearsals leading up to the festival, that was its own uh, immersive, uh, uh, I don't know, festival, I guess. Uh, that learning experience was pedagogic for everybody. So you mentioned this um, uh, recorder quartet. Um, yeah. Is there other uh, highlights or memories from that year for you that stand out still to this day? Totally. Well, one of the groups who brought was um, was called Eighth Blackbird, and they were amazing. What do I remember? Uh, well, okay, this is I don't know. This is kind of cheating because it's not a group, but one of the most memorable uh, concerts for me was Jeremy Dent coming and playing the Goldberg Variations. Surprising, you know, but, uh, but, but it wasn't just that Jeremy is so extraordinary, but it was the Goldberg variations in the context of all of this other programming that suddenly a work like that wasn't nested in a long list of other, what we, what we call classical pieces. And, and because of the, the diversity of the programming, then suddenly that was a real outlier. And for that reason, it was surprising and unexpected. So I remember that moment very well, because I guess the reason that sticks out is because um, it was because of, yeah, I don't want to be redundant. The range of programming is is what made that become a moment rather than just one more performance. And then right. uh, performing Iray with Don Upshaw uh, is always one of the best things we'll ever have done. 
which is, you know, what is funny um, as an aside, or maybe you'll keep this in the podcast. I don't know. But in October, we're doing an event in New York and uh, we haven't seen Dawn in years, but we're going to come back and play one of the movements from IRA with Dawn. That's cool. For this event in New York. And it's just going to be this like this delightful reunion. So uh, she's very special to us as well. I know that uh, your performance of Pierre Lunaire is still talked about from that yeah. years. Yeah, those productions. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, That's one of my favorite productions we've done. And it's funny because I don't play a note in it. Uh, the, it's a quintet for strings and winds and the piano. And, but we, 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 we created an evening length production uh, with uh, Lucy Shelton singing and myself cast as a dancer and another dancer. And so uh, that was, um, well, number one, it was really fun for me to get to work with a dancer and choreographer to come up with a version of, uh, of, of uh, an acting role that, that was within my abilities. The, the director of those pr productions, Mark de Chiazza, it's one of the, an, uh, another really beautiful lesson from that experience was not trying to force people to figure out how to do things they weren't comfortable with. He would say, walk, on the walk around the room, show me how you walk. And he would go, okay. I'm going to use that and, and, and make and bringing things into the production that people already did well or were comfortable with um, uh, uh, using those as his assets. That, that, that was, uh, uh, that was one of those game changing, you know, light bulb moments. Uh, but yeah, Puro Lunaire will always be one of our, my, my favorite productions that we've ever done, despite me not hitting a note, uh, just because it was so elegantly beautiful. So that, yeah, that was a beautiful night. Well, thank you, Matthew, <laughs> for joining us on the Ojai cast and sharing your Ojai memories with us. And we hope to see you sure. back at the Ojai stage soon. Oh, come on. Anytime. Anytime. <laughs> Would love to be there. Very special place. Thank you, Thomas and everybody at Ojai for uh, giving me a chance to reflect. I really appreciate it. from one incredible percussionist to another. Steve Schick has performed at the OA Festival many times and he served as the 2015 music director. He currently teaches at UC San Diego, is the music director and conductor of the La Jolla Symphony Orchestra, is the founder and artistic director of the percussion group Redfish Bluefish, and of course, is a world leading champion of contemporary percussion music. We have Steve joining us via Zoom. Welcome Steve to OHICast. Thomas, it's so great to see you again. I'm happy to be here. So let's begin by talking about your earliest Ojai Music Festival memory. Uh, yes, I think the year was 1996, although someone could check the archives to confirm that. And I played uh, Kaya Sariajo's Six Japanese Gardens on stage. And uh, it was one of the most magical experiences I've ever had. You know, normally it, in, in June in Ojai, it can be really hot during the day, clear, dry, and sometimes really cold at night. But this was a misty, almost rainy night uh, where you could hear the sounds of the insects and there was fog in the air. And Kaya's piece is so evocative and so misty in and of itself that I thought you could not, given a year's planning, have produced a better scenario to perform that piece. And that was the U.S. premiere of her piece. I was about to say, that seems like it must have been pretty close when it was written. It was right away. It was the first 
Um, I did a performance in in Hong Kong. I think that might have been the premiere, and then that was the first U.S. performance. Wow. What for you is really unique and special about the Ojai Music Festival that sets it apart from Aspen, from other festivals in, in, in the world? Well, you know, um, it feels like many of those other festivals, without without excoriating them in the slightest, are a, a simple importation of things from elsewhere that have really very little to do with where they're being played. But in Ojai, there's this magical uh, confluence of uh, exceptional music making, very progressive music making, a sense of community that has grown up around the you know the seven plus decades of its of its existence, and a very close relationship with the natural world, uh, and so you find this kind of um, unbelievable intersection of basically everything that I need to have to have a really wonderful artistic experience, and with all respect in the world, often one of those is missing elsewhere. You obviously have been involved with the festival in many capacities over the over the years. How have you seen it change or evolve since your first performance to today? Well, of course, so much depends on who the artistic director is and who the music director is. And and when I was uh, the music director in, in, in 2015 with Tom Morris as artistic director, he explained to me that the artistic director provides continuity and large-scale vision. The music director provides local input into sort of whatever the electricity that can be that can be generated. And so really actually built into the system is a lot of variety from, from year to year. So it on one hand, Ojai feels like an established institution. It's, it's, it feels like it's made of granite. It's that important in, in, in the musical world in, in this country. On the other hand, you come every year and you have no idea what to expect and you're constantly surprised. That's one thing which I love about it the most. It's yeah. no matter how much I know about music, I'm always learning every single year I, go, I show up and I'm like, I cannot believe what I'm hearing, who these composers, who these people. I'm, it's just like it's a it's a you get led into the mind of the director that year. You really do. And, you know, I mean, I think of some of my favorite moments. I think of Vijay Iyer's year where, you know, I, I've, I've been around contemporary music of my entire life and I'm hearing pieces I had never heard or have ideas I've never thought of. And then you turn around and Barbara Hannigan or someone else will do something equally uh, unique, but in a different direction. Exactly. I'd love to talk about your year, 2015. Um, what was your vision as the director that year? And can you talk about the curation process you went through to program um, all those pieces? Well, my, my vision as a director that year was largely informed by the phone call I got from Tom Morris asking me to be the music director. And I and I really, I checked the date several times to make sure that it was not April 1st. It had been really a, an unspoken dream to be the director of the Ojai Music Festival. And I, as, as you pointed out, I'd, I'd played on so many different occasions before that. So all of a sudden to have the latitude of programming and the partnership both with Tom, but also with the institution and the community itself, it was this sort of sense of party from the beginning to the end. Now, I'm, I'm in La Jolla at Summerfest Festival as we speak, and the Calder Quartet is here. So I've spent the last couple of days talking to them and reminiscing about their masterful Bartok cycle that year, and just how much music was played, heard, enjoyed, and, and, and captured in that moment. So my memory was of the of the sort of quintessential California phrase, you know, surfs up. And that's what it felt like in 2015. 
And and how did you go about choosing the pieces? So the pieces are always chosen out of a conversation between the music director and the artistic director. And Tom was really wise. And every time I suggested a piece that I really wanted to do, his his follow-up was, well, so what are the implications for the rest of the festival? How does this piece on this concert speak to another piece on another concert? So that we're not just presenting a kind of confederacy of ideas, but there is a sense behind things. And so we developed a few large-scale themes, one of which was the performance of solo percussion music. Um, I'm a percussion soloist. I mean, I play other kinds of percussion music, but but much of my life has been involved with solo repertory. And so there was the sense of percussion being the child of the 20th century exploration of timbre, um, bringing that instrument, which had been in the back of the orchestra towards the front, uh, those kinds of themes. There was a theme that had to do with Pierre Boulez's 90th birthday, and we were very, very happy to be able to do that. It was just before Pierre died. And so to have been able to tell him that we were playing, for example, Derive Deux and some of the great masterful pieces was really was really a thrill. And then there were theatrical elements. I mean, this grows to, to a large extent out of out of percussion and its natural dramatic and physical uh, sensibilities. But there was a staged version of Kurt Schwitter's classic piece, or Sonata, there were late night performances and early morning performances. One of my favorite memories, favorite is relative here. It was the one memory where I wondered whether I had made a mistake. And that is that we finished the performance of the original version of Appalachian Spring, which I conducted on, uh, I believe, Saturday night. And that performance wrapped at a little after midnight, maybe 1230 or something like that. And then we had in mind and actually performed Philip, uh, for Philip Guston, Morton Feldman's four and a half hour long trio for flute, uh, piano, celesta, and, and, and percussion. So when the alarm rang at 3.30 after a bedtime of approximately a quarter to two, there was a brief moment of self-doubt there where I wondered whether I had done the very smartest thing I might have done by programming those two things. It was also magical. The audience came into the room where we played Guston. They had slept all night, and many of them were awakened by the opening strains of that piece. I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's still a performance which is talked about today. I mean, the epic 4 a.m. performance of that piece. <laughs> that was an amazing kind of thing. And I did catch two hours of sleep that afternoon before conducting the Boulez des Rives Deux and playing the Bartok Sonata for two pianos and percussionists to wrap things up. Did it that year also have that incredible use of the park for Anixuit? Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, we actually played in Nixwood on, on another time. We played, we premiered uh, Sila. Um, that is John's other outdoor piece. So John Luther Adams um, in the early 2000s began to explore not just his relationship with the outdoors as inspiration for music, but pieces which were intended to be performed outdoors. What he calls site-determined rather than site-specific piece. You take the piece, you put it in different physical, geographical, natural situations, and those natural situations in turn uh, change the piece. They affect it, they frame it, they conceptualize it. And so in the park we did, um, uh, one of the early perform we were one of the commissioners of that piece and so it was a very early performance of sila uh, the breath of the world so i'm wondering uh either as a conductor or as a performer if and this need not be in the year that you were the director 
Is there another specific piece or memory of a performance that stands out for you? I um, remember Taishan's story in his autoskidiasms. That will, uh, I will never forget that. I remember the Schoenberg Quartet with with the Jack and uh, and Barbara Hannigan. That was uh, one of the most elegant performances I have ever seen of anything. And um, if I think, I mean, it's a it's a, a little way. How do you exclude something, something played at the top of its level, and in fact, you know, um, really presented by the artists? Uh, that have championed those pieces. And so those two things come immediately to mind. For, you know, for me, uh, the closing performance of Barbara Hannigan singing the Gershwin and conducting Ludwig was one of the most jaw-dropping things I've seen in my entire life. Like, I was almost in tears. She's got uh, she's got something going on, doesn't she? <laughs> um, I'm wondering, you have literally performed all over Ojai. <laughs> not just yes, Libby Bowl, in the park, in the gazebo, in the, you know, down the road. At the school. At the school. And I'm wondering, is there a favorite place you like to perform? Well, I mean, you can't beat playing a Saturday night concert at the at the Libby Bowl. And I remember conducting that scaled down version of the Rite of Spring at the Libby Bowl. And it was just wild along with Vijay's uh, Rade Rade. So... I mean, that has to win. Uh, but the Byzantial School, I think, was really my second favorite. And, and and part of that is because I love the piece I played there so much, James Dillon's La Coupura. It's a piece which is really close to my heart. And we were able to work there for the entirety of the week so that that that, that theater, which opened up with this extraordinary view to the outside, became a kind of personal studio for a few days. Everyone was so welcoming and so... I'd have to say that that was my second favorite venue. So this year, John Adams is the music director. Is there a particular piece or concert, Steve, you're looking forward to hearing? I mean, the, the programming this year in, in, in 2021 is as extraordinary as you would expect it to be with somebody like John Adams as at the helm. And of course, John, in addition to being a friend and an inspiration and for so many people, a mentor is a visionary thinker. And so when John and Ara start to speak, you can only imagine that the sparks are going to fly. So in addition to John's music, which I have loved, and I mean, I think about having conducted myself The Wound Dresser, which I think is one of the most beautiful pieces, one of the most searing statements on war that I, I can think of. But when I look at this year's programming, two things pop out. One, I love Gabriela Ortiz. I love her music. She and I are old friends. And when every, whenever Gabi shows up, you can be sure that the music will be colorful and the conversation will be lively. So I'm sure that's going to be great. And that's going to be a highlight for me. And then, and then sadly, we've lost uh, iconic composers this year, Louis Andreessen and Frederick Shevsky. And I think of the Andreessen performances and, um, and how much Louis meant to so many people, and especially those of us involved with Bang on a Can in its earliest days. I don't think Bang on a Can would be what it what it was without uh, without Louis. Great. Well, I mean, I have nothing else to say. Anything you want to, you want to add? Of all of the things I've been asked to do musically, that invitation to be the music director of the 2015 Ojai Music Festival will be a high watermark that, for me, I doubt will ever be equaled. Being on stage with my friends and collaborators playing that music for an audience as informed, receptive, and passionate as OI has to offer, 
I frankly don't think it'll ever be equaled. I reserve the top spot for my wedding day with Brenda, but very close to the top is the Ojai Festival. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Steve. And we look forward to seeing you at the festival up next year, this year, soon, I'm sure. I'm just like my grandmother. If you invite me, I will come. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Steve, for joining us on the Ojai cast for our Ojai Time Machine episode. You can find out more information on Steve Schick at steveschick.com, or you can pop up to the Ojai Music Festival and run into Steve yourself, as he is a very familiar face almost every single year. This year, the festival runs September 16th through 19th, and you will not want to miss it. More information on the composers, artists, and music discussed today can be found at ojaifestival.org. You can follow the Ojai Music Festival on social media at Ojai Festivals, and you can follow me at Thomas Kachev. Thanks so much for listening.